We'll be in the book of 1 Samuel this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 12. And as you're finding today's passage, I just want to ask you a personal question. What are you afraid of? Here's another question. What do you fear the most? Now, the answers are going to differ for everyone. But one thing in common is that we're all afraid of something. And today, we will see a set of warnings in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 12 for the people of Israel. But my hope is that as we dive into scriptures, we will learn from Israel's mistakes. But more than that, my hope is that we will see God's grace and care for his people. And even more so, that we will come to a healthy understanding of the fear of the Lord. So... I don't hear as many Bibles turning. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 12. We will start in verse 16. Verse 16, here we go. Now, therefore, present yourselves and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Isn't the wheat harvest today? I will call on the Lord and he will send thunder and rain so that you will recognize what an immense evil you committed in the Lord's side by requesting a king for yourselves. Verse 18, Samuel called on the Lord, and on that day the Lord sent thunder and rain. As a result, all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. They pleaded with Samuel, pray to the Lord your God for your servants so we won't die. For we have added to all our sins the evil of requesting a king for ourselves. Verse 20, Samuel replied, don't be afraid. Even though you have committed all this evil, don't turn away from following the Lord. Instead, worship the Lord with all your heart. Don't turn away to follow worthless things that can't profit or rescue you. They are worthless. The Lord will not abandon his people because of his great name and because he has determined to make you his own people. Verse 23. As for me, I vow that I will not sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I will teach you the good and right way. Above all, fear the Lord and worship him faithfully with all your heart. Consider the great things he has done for you. However, if you continue to do what is evil, both you and your king will be swept away. Let's pray. God, what a joy it is to be in the house, your house, Lord, and to worship you, to sing praises to you, to pray with your people, Lord, and We just ask that you would be with us today, that your Holy Spirit would stir our hearts as we hear today's word. Uh, Lord, and I pray for your servant, Lord, that I would be a mouthpiece for you, um, and that you would speak to us through your word today. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Well, we have been learning a lot in the book of Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel, we are right now. Uh, And thus far, we have seen how the people of God are, are sort of in this process of learning and disobeying. And last week we saw how they desired a king. And we came to realize uh, through the teaching that it wasn't because they wanted a king that they sinned, but because they wanted a king now. They wanted a king in their own timing. Um, They made the mistake of wanting to be like the other nations. Instead of Israel being an influence to the other nations and other nations wanting to be like them and and seeing what God had done for them and desiring to worship God because of what he had done for them, Israel was being influenced by the others. And they said, we want to be like the nations around us. We want a king. And so the Lord grants them their request. Um, And that's what we saw in chapter 8. 
Then in the following chapters, Saul is introduced. He's to be the first king of Israel, and he's on the way to be set up as king. But right before we get there, um, Samuel gathers the people, the Israelites, one last time, and he's going to talk to them. So let's go to the first verse in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 12. And it says, Then Samuel said to all Israel, I have carefully listened to everything you said to me and placed a king over you. Now you can see that the king is leading you. As for me, I'm old and gray, and my sons are here with you, have led you from my youth until now. Verse 3, here I am, bring charges against me before the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I ta- or donkey have I taken? Whom have I wronged or mistreated? From whom have I accepted a bribe to overlook something? I will return it to you. So uh, Samuel's saying, have I taken anything from you? He's, he's clearing his name. He's saying, please bring those charges against me now. Verse 4, they, re- they reply, you haven't wronged us, you haven't mistreated us, and you haven't taken anything from anyone. They responded. Um, in a way, Samuel's clearing his name, but he's trying to make them realize that under the prophets, under, under the ruling of, of the prophet, uh, nothing was taken from them. They received blessing, but under a king that will experience some loss. As we saw last week, there are things that the king will take from their land, from their people, uh, servants, and all sorts of things, and they will suffer. And we will learn more of this in the coming weeks. But we see the answer. They recognize what they've done. And then um, in verse 6, Samuel says to them, The Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron, who brought your ancestors up from the land of Egypt, he is a witness. So now he started to bring back history. He says, Now present yourselves so that I may confront you before the Lord about all the righteous acts he has done for you and your ancestors. Verse 8, When Jacob went to Egypt, your ancestors cried out to the Lord, and he sent them Moses and Aaron, who led your ancestors out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord, the Lord their God. So he handed them over to Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, to the Philistines, and to King Moab. These enemies fought against them. Then they cried out to the Lord and said, this is the people of Israel, We have sinned. For we abandoned the Lord and worshiped the Baals and the Ashtoreths. Now rescue us from the power of our enemies, and we will serve you. So the Lord sent Jeroboam, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel. He rescued you from the power of the enemies around you, and you live securely. Look at verse 12. But when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was coming against you, you said to me, No. We must have a king reign over us, even though the Lord your God is your king. Samuel, through these passages, is reminding the people of God of their history, of what has been happening, how the Lord has brought them out from oppression, and how continually they forget that and worship other things, worship other gods. In a way, they lost their fear of God. Their ancestors finally were afraid and cried out to God for help. And uh, the Lord rescued them. How many times have we done that in our own lives? How many times uh, when life is fine, when things are great, we're receiving great blessings from the Lord, um, we, we don't come to the Lord. We sort of forget to pray, right? We, uh, things are great and we don't really talk to the Lord. But when things are bad, it's when we go, Lord, where are you? I need you. We cry out for help when we're in a tough place. But we're in verse 13. Samuel says to the people, here is what you asked for. 
He says, now, here is the king you've, re- you've chosen. And I think that's important. It's the king they chose. He says, uh, the one you requested. Look, this is the king the Lord has placed over you. If you fear the Lord, worship and obey him. And if you don't rebel against the Lord's command, then both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. However, if you disobey the Lord and rebel against his command, the Lord's hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. Uh, doesn't that sound like something we read in the beginning? See, this is the first of two times that Samuel tells the people of God, you ought to fear the Lord. You ought to fear the Lord. You ought to worship him. This is what you ought to do. But if you rebel, here's what's coming. He tells them to fear the Lord, to worship the Lord, to obey the Lord. Here's this warning that he offers to them. Um, and then we read in verse 16, that's, that's where we started. The Lord calls on the Lord, and the Lord shows his strength, his might. And he says to them, so that you will recognize what an immense evil you committed against the Lord. By requesting a king for yourselves. And then the awesome power of God is displayed. The people of Israel greatly fear the Lord. On verse 19. And then on verse 20. And here's where we'll kind of hinge for today. Samuel says to them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But didn't we just read that he told them to fear the Lord? Fear the Lord. But he also says, don't be afraid. So this word fear, uh, as you saw in the title, I called it a paradox of fear. Because on the one hand, we ought to fear the Lord, but on the other, we ought not to be afraid of him. So let's dive into that. The first point I want to make today is that we must fear the Lord, but we must not be afraid. So fear the Lord, but don't be afraid. You may ask, how do we do that? How do we on the one hand fear God and on the other not be afraid of him? It seems contradictory, but it is not. Um, We're going to let the Bible guide our understanding this morning. I've identified three types of fear um, that we're going to look at today. I'm sure there's more, but today I want us to focus on these three. And it'll help us get an understanding for what Samuel is really trying to tell the people of Israel. So the first one is natural fear. Natural fear. Um, So natural fear is, is what has come into this world. We live in a hectic, dangerous, chaotic world. And this is because we live in a fallen world. Sin was introduced by the first man and woman on earth when they disobeyed the Lord and ate of the fruit. And they experienced sin. Sin corrupted everything. Because of that, we fear accidents. We fear pain. We fear bad people. We fear even dangerous animals. Personally, I'm fearful of reptiles. If I'm going to be honest with you, uh, last year we had our fall festival. Who came to our fall festival? And uh, we had it back uh, in our back parking lot. And I was walking around. We did a trunk or treat. And I was walking around to look at everyone else's. And Tracy and Ray, our own Tracy and Ray, Cole, they um, had a bunch of reptiles in their car. And I approached, not knowing what was in there, so excited to see what they had. And fear just came over me at seeing a snake. And I just ran the opposite direction. Thankfully, we were on the other side. <laughs> so I need to talk to Melanie about our placement this year. Um, but I am, I am terrified of, of snakes. I am terrified of spiders. And I know that means somebody's going to buy a fake spider and put it on my desk this week. But 
I, I'm not afraid to confess that to you. It is a natural fear that I have. But there are other things we all share, like the fear of making wrong decisions, like the fear of losing a loved one. And even Jesus experienced natural fear. Remember, Jesus was fully God, fully man. And in Mark 14, 33, kind of shows us a little bit of that. Mark uh, chapter 14, verse 33 says that Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. That tells us something about what he was feeling. Jesus knew what was coming. Jesus lamented over what was coming. He knew that the cross was at hand, and still he was faithful and remained faithful, faithful to the Father because he feared God. So Jesus, being fully man, fully God, he experienced things that we experience like fear, like joy, like lament. So we can see that there is a natural fear that we all experience. But there is another type that the Bible speaks of as well and speaks of it in many, many, many places. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Jeremiah, we find this interesting phrasing. It says, uh, I found it very interesting. I will put fear of me in their hearts. Jeremiah chapter 32 Uh, Verse 38 to 40 says, They will be my people, and I will be their God, and I will give them integrity of heart and actions that they will fear me always for their good and for the good of their descendants after them. I will make a permanent covenant with them. I will never turn away from doing good to them. I will put fear of me in their hearts so that they will never again turn away from me. So this fear of God... Is, is deemed as good because there's wisdom in it. And also, it says that it will draw us back to God. So it's not a fear that makes us afraid of Him. It makes us want to run away from God. It's a fear that brings us back to God. Jeremiah chapter 33, just one chapter over, verse 8 says, I will purify them from all the iniquity they have committed against me, and I will forgive them, forgive all the iniquities they have committed against me. Rebelling against me, this city will bear on my behalf a name of joy, praise, and glory before all the nations of the earth who will hear of all the prosperity I will give them. They will tremble with awe because of all the good and all the peace I will bring about for them. The ESV says they shall fear and tremble. So the CSV version is trying to show us, give us a glimpse of what that word fear means. It means to be in awe of what God is doing, but it says because of all the good and all the peace that I would bring about. So to fear God, we're seeing, is not necessarily a bad thing, right? It's related as to how we relate to God. This is not a fear of punishment. God is doing great things for them, so they will fear and tremble, and they will be in awe because of all the good. In Luke chapter 7, verse 14 says, then they came up and touched the open coffin, and the pallbearer stopped. Now, so Jesus is, is, is walking, and they bring this, this young man who's dead. And Jesus says, young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Then fear came over everyone, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. I'm just going to be honest. If I see a dead man get up and start talking, I'm running. <laughs> but this is not what they experience. They recognize who Jesus was. And they say, a great prophet has risen among us. They glorify God. 
That's not the type of fear that makes you run away. It's the type of fear that helps you to be in awe of what God is doing. So awe, excitement, thrill, even trembling are words that could describe what, what these people experience and what came over them. I imagine it, it's sort of like riding uh, a roller coaster. You know those roller coasters that first they go up, they build a suspense. And right when you get to the tip, it's about to drop you. You feel all sorts of things. You're afraid of the roller coaster because you're wondering, is this really secure? Is it safe? Did I make a good decision? But you're also excited because you, you're like, oh, I want to do this and I want to prove this to myself. Maybe that's just me. Um, but then as you, as you start coming down, your stomach just drops or I guess it goes back, I don't know, depending on the direction in which you're going. But there's excitement, there's thrill, there's trembling, there's joy. I mean, it's, it's amazing how, you, how it feels. You're in awe of such velocity, speed, power, everything, momentum. And well, some of you just close your eyes and get nauseous, but that's okay. But fear is encompassing so many things here. Uh, it is even given as a name for the Lord. In Genesis 31, verse 42 says, If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac had not been with me, certainly now you would have sent me off empty-handed. But God has seen my affliction and my hard work, and he issued his verdict last night. So the fear of Isaac, here's a title given to God, the fear Psalm 2.11 tells us to serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. And then Proverbs 14.2 tells us that whoever lives with integrity fears the Lord. So here are some words that are describing to us what it means to fear the Lord. It is, is, as we can see in this picture, in the scriptures, pardon me, it's not a fear that's hazardous. Rather, it is a good fear. It's a fear that leads to rejoicing, that leads to reverence of God, that leads to awe, to service, to faithfulness, to, to love Him and love Him deeply, that draws us back to the Lord. To fear the Lord is to be in relationship with Him. That is the godly fear that Samuel is trying to teach here. And it all ties to worship. Notice that that's what Samuel tells him, is that you ought to fear the Lord and to worship Him alone. Psalm 145, uh, verse 19 says, He fulfills the desires of those who fear Him. He hears their cry for help and saves them. The Lord guards all those who love Him, but He destroys all the wicked. So that's godly fear. It leads us to deeper love and trust of God. It gives, the, the, uh, it gives us the desire to know Him better, to want to have a deeper relationship with Him, and to worship no one else. But, but him. But there is one last type of fear I want to talk about this morning before we continue. And that is the kind of fear that is at odds with the love of God. And I'm calling it sinful fear. It's opposite of, the, of, of godly fear. Let's look at the book of Genesis. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 10. And you might, might not know this story, um, but... The first two people on earth, Adam and Eve, they are told not to eat of the fruit. They eat of the fruit, and immediately they realize that they have sinned. They realize uh, what's, what's going on with them, and they go and hide. And here comes the Lord. Now, the Lord had been walking with Adam, had a relationship with Adam, but now Adam is hiding. And 
The Lord is calling out Adam, and Adam is not, is not showing up. So Genesis 3.10 says, And he said, speaking of Adam, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Adam knew what he had done. And being now aware of his sin after eating the fruit, he hides from the Lord. He is afraid. He is afraid because he knows what he has done. And you see, sinful fear is rooted at the very heart of sin. It is the kind of fear that demons display towards the Lord. In James chapter 2, verse 19, says, You believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. The demons are afraid of God. There's a kind of fear that leads many to become atheists. And it's, it's because instead of getting closer to God, instead of being drawn to Him, this type of fear makes people retreat from God. Makes people oppose Him. It is a kind of fear that leads to idolatry. We learned about idolatry in Revelation, didn't we, as we were walking through that. It, idolatry is the main topic. Everybody is worshiping other things, the devil, but God. And idolatry happens from a lack of understanding of relationship with God. This is exactly what Samuel uh, sought to prevent the Israelites from doing. Look at verse 18. He says, he calls on the Lord, and the Lord shows up. He sent thunder and rain. As a result, all the people greatly fear the Lord and Samuel, and they plead with Samuel Pray to the Lord your God for your servants so we won't die. For we have added to all our sins the evil of requesting a king for ourselves. Um, I tend to notice things that other people don't for some reason and sometimes it gets me in trouble. Uh, but I think it's very interesting the language used here. The people of Israel say, pray to the Lord your God. As they're speaking to Samuel. They plead for mercy because they know what they have done. But they say, pray, pray to the Lord your God. Aren't they God's chosen people? We know that, right? We know as he has given them, Samuel has given them the history of where they come from. Who, where the Lord took him out of. What all he has done for them. And yet, they say, pray to the Lord your God. They don't say, pray to the Lord our God. That says something about the relationship that they had with the Lord. How sad to see that with this statement, they were basically saying, the God who made all things possible, the God who brought us out of Egypt, who gave us this land and has promised to be faithful to us till the end of time, that is your God, Samuel. God has always wanted a relationship with his people. And look at verse 20. Don't be afraid, says Samuel. Even though you have committed all this evil, don't turn away from following the Lord. You see, what Samuel wanted them to understand is that only a God-fearing heart will ever be a God-trusting heart. A heart that fears the Lord is, is only a heart that's going to be ever trust the Lord. Otherwise, we'll have a sinful heart and run away from the Lord. This is why Samuel continually tells the people of Israel, and now, and now to their new king, fear the Lord. He's telling them, love God, worship God alone, be in awe of God, be faithful to him as he is faithful to you. 
Rejoice and tremble. It is a beautiful thing to fear the Lord. And it is only those who seek the Lord in spirit and in truth who will continue to trust in Him. So we need to be a people who fear the Lord. It is the only way that we'll come to trust the Lord. But you see, even those that have been saved by the blood of Christ and changed by the Holy Spirit um, can fail at times. Israel, as the chosen people, failed many times. They sinned many times. And Samuel tells them, in this point number two, don't turn away from following the Lord. And I'm saying that to you today. I'm saying that to myself today. Even if you've sinned, even if you failed, whatever it is that you think you've committed that cannot be pardoned, don't turn away from the Lord. Don't do it. Don't go the opposite direction. Don't go hide in shame. Don't be afraid of him. Instead, return to the Lord. Ask for forgiveness. Much like in the parable of the prodigal son, he is waiting with open arms, waiting for you to return. And he will rejoice at your return. So pursue God and worship him. That is what we ought to do. Um, a friend of mine recently was telling me a story, a pastor friend. He, uh, there was a man that came to their church and asked for uh, food and help. He had been, uh, he needed money, he needed a place to sleep, he had been roaming around and nobody would help him. So his church found a way to help him, um, a one-time thing, uh, but my friend really took it upon himself to every week provide groceries for him. And every week he would say, hey, see you on Sunday. And the guy would say, yeah, I'll, I'll be there. But every Sunday, looking out at the congregation, he wasn't there. Weeks went by, and finally, um, my friend asked him, hey, for real, let's be serious. Will you, be, will you come to church this Sunday? And the man answered, you know what? I've wanted to come every Sunday, every week. I just need to clean myself up first. He said, I need to get my act together. I need to get my life together. And once I'm worthy, I'll come. And I was just so saddened by that, that comment. You know, it is, it is not the cleaned up and the perfect that are here. It is the weak. It is those who need the grace of God that need to be here, right? This is, this is a hospital for broken people. All of us are broken people, but we have a Savior who redeems us. And I thought, man, he needed to be here just like I need to be here. But many of us are like that man. We go through life struggles, failures of our own, um, and, and we get further and further away from God thinking, I'll, I'll fix it, I'll fix it, and then I'll come back. We think that we need to be this perfect, clean person, forgetting that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. There's nothing we can do to be clean. It is only by Jesus Christ, what he has done at the cross, it's only by his blood that we can be purified, that we can go from wanderers to being adopted into the family of God. And only in him can we be given a new identity. Only in Christ can we find rest. And so Samuel tells the people of God, don't be afraid even though you have committed this great evil. Don't turn away from the Lord. Instead, worship the Lord with all your heart. Verse 21, he continues, don't turn away to follow 
other things, worthless things that can't profit or rescue you. They are worthless. Only God is worthy. In verse 22, uh, what a verse. Verse of great hope. It says, the Lord will not abandon his people. He will not abandon you. Hear that today, church. Because of his great name and because he has determined to make you his own people, he will not abandon you. If there is one thing you can trust, and this is point number three, you can trust the Lord's faithfulness. You can find rest in the Lord's faithfulness. Church, we need the gospel every day. Even us as the redeemed people of God, we need the gospel every day. We need to be reminded of the saving grace of God and that he is determined to make us his own people. We need to be reminded of the cross of the blood that our Savior shed for us on the cross that he took up on all our sin, became the perfect lamb, and was sacrificed for you and for me. He died on the cross. And on the third day, he conquered death and now is reigning triumphantly in the throne at the right hand of the Father. Amen. We can find hope in that truth. Not in anything we do. It's in what he did. We can find rest in that truth, nothing, anything that we can do, but in what Jesus did. And so Samuel pleads for his people, and he says, fear God, worship him, obey him. Samuel knew the Lord, and he knew that they could find rest in in God, that those fears that came when other uh, peoples would come and try to conquer them would all be put at rest if they would just trust the Lord. And for us today, friend, if, you, uh, if you're trying to find rest from all the struggles, let me read to you Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. It says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. So the message of 1 Samuel chapter 12 is one of hope. It is, in a way, a mirror in which we can look at it and see ourselves through the people of Israel. Because in a way, we we do some of the same things that they do. We are a frail and broken people. But we have a great Savior. A great Savior who is patient, who is kind towards us, who is loving. We can also find in this chapter a message of grace, the grace of God. We can find a message of His faithfulness. So, brothers, sisters, if you're watching online today, if you're here visiting with us for the first time, it is time to stop running away from the Lord. Don't let sinful fear drive you away from Him. Instead, go straight towards Him. Go straight towards Him. Today is a day of repentance. Today is a day of salvation. As it says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2. God is good to all who love him, who follow him, who revere him, who serve him, who desire nothing more than him and him alone. I'll conclude with this. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24. If you would all look at that with me, I want you to see it. And let this be a theme that we all live by. Verse 24. Above all, fear the Lord and worship him faithfully with all your heart and consider the great things he has done for you. 
Let us pray. God, we, we are in awe of your goodness, of your mercy, of your grace. Lord, and we, through 1 Samuel, have come to understand that to fear you is not to be afraid of you. Rather, to love you, to come and to have a relationship with you, to worship you and you alone. God, I pray for anyone who is running away from you right now. Lord, anyone who feels like they can't come and approach you. Lord, I pray that they would come by your son, through your son, Jesus Christ, and ask for forgiveness and come to saving knowledge of your name. Lord, continue to be good to us. Pierce our hearts and may we rest in your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us stand and continue to worship.